You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. When the world seems off course, the future can be a very, very scary place to go. I mean, how far off course is the world going to go? How far, for instance, is hatred going to go? Do you know just in the last century and so far in this one, over 37 million people, that's 10 Canada's, have been killed in over 28 genocides. After Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, Taliban, Boko Haram, and ISIS, who's going to terrorize the planet's population next? Already over 28,000 refugees a day are fleeing their homes. That's more than ever in human history. Can we trust world leaders to get us to a safer world? As people of the world's nations express their anger in ballot boxes and in the streets of Europe and the Middle East and South America, the U.S. and Africa, how far will the swing to more extreme right-wing populism go? Did you know every year a group of scientists measure the probability of a global catastrophe that would wipe out a lot of the human race in this nuclear age? In 1991, it was 17 minutes to midnight. In 2002, seven minutes to midnight. 2017, two and a half minutes to midnight. But that was way back in January. So the doomsday clock says the world is off course. But are we at least on track economically? Right now, people on the planet owe over 62 trillion US dollars. How much is that in Canadian dollars? (laughs) The relatively small population of Canada owes 1.6 trillion US and it's growing quickly. That's $50,402 for every man, woman, and child Aren't you glad Pastor Jonathan didn't dedicate those children and say, you know, we dedicate you to the Lord and welcome to a world where we also give you $50,000 debt each. Speaking of the next generation, what job will they have in this increasingly robotic workforce? What education is going to prepare them for that reality? What will sex look like? I mean, how many more letters can be added to LGBTQ? How will the climate be 20 years from now? And if the world is even more off course then than it is now, what will church look like? What will it be like to be a follower of Jesus Christ in that world? Last weekend, Pastor Jonathan showed us how there are a lot of parallels between the world today that we are in and that world that Esther and Mordecai were part of in the Persian Empire. He showed us, and wasn't it a great message, where he helped us understand that when the world seems off course, our God has his partners in place. We're going to see today that when the world seems off course, you can count on the devil to overplay his hand. Now, I checked on the statistics regarding Canadians' belief in a real devil. It's not surprising, more Canadians believe in a real God than they do in a real devil. However, since 1969, when the belief in the devil was at 21%, did you know this? It has now doubled to over 40%. I don't really totally understand why. 
Have you ever heard of the Canadian General Romeo Dallaire, who commanded the UN forces in Rwanda during that extremely tragic Tutsi Hutu genocide where 800,000 people were murdered? He told this story in a Canadian bestseller. What did he call the book? Shake Hands with the Devil. Let, let me use his words. He said, I was forced to negotiate with blood-soaked militia who I did not consider to be humans because of the unthinkable atrocities they had engineered. I mean, how do human beings get to a place where they kill neighbors that they've been living peacefully alongside for decades? Does hatred alone, does racism alone provide enough evil power to have that kind of a consequence? Or, or like Romeo Dallaire is trying to say here, you know, is there something of a, of, a, of, a, of a power of evil that has a D in front of it that goes even beyond? I've been leading groups from our church family to Bible sites in Israel. When we go to Jerusalem, we usually visit Yad Vashem, a place that recalls the Nazi-sponsored horror Holocaust where six million innocent people were killed by racists for being different from them. And I remember being in the bookshop last time and just going through, as I have so many times before, books that try and explain why it happened. And they have the psychological, the sociological, you know, the conditions of Europe in the time. They have the philosophical reasons as to why uh, six million innocent people, babies, children, women, just uh, innocent people taken off and exterminated. And, 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 and as much as you read and try to understand, you realize that, that that's not an adequate explanation. You only understand how the human condition can get that far off track when you understand that, that there's, there's a, a power of evil at work in the invisible realm that, that works along with people's hatred and racism. So much of the human story is understandable only when you understand that real powers of evil are playing their hand. Now, I don't know where you get your ideas of the devil and powers of darkness from. I don't know whether you got them from horror films like The Exorcist or the sci-fi dark side. I don't know where you, you get your ideas from. But they're probably going to be helped by understanding that the Bible talks about uh, evil and evil powers. And it calls them, listen to this, here's some phrases that the Bible uses, rulers of darkness. Also, rulers of this age, uh, principalities and powers and authorities. And also, listen to this, uh, powers under the earth. Don't forget that one. And under the earth. So you've got all of these powers in the invisible realm. And Jesus says, you can count on the devil. You can count on the devil not just to overplay his hand. You can count on the devil, Jesus says, to lie. He will lie to you. He says, Jesus said when he lies, he's speaking his language. It's the language of lies. He, he deceives. He's a master deceiver. He tempts to get us off course and get our world off course. He lures, he tempts, he seduces in, in a, a direction that will bring us damage. 
He accuses. And he's a bully. He's a bully. Um, he's a control freak. When you read the few but descriptive records of the devil in the Bible, you see clearly that he is a completely narcissistic, attention-seeking, self-centered, vulturistic, diabolical, stop-at-nothing, control-freak bully that's obsessed with controlling humans. That's as close as I get to swearing. Anyway, <laughs> how does he get control over humans? Quick answer is, wherever we give him space. He just move in, vulturistically, opportunistically. How do we give him space? Well, pride. If I get proud, you know, conceit, I'm better than others. Conceit. Contempt. But Paul writes to Timothy and he says, you know, even if you're in church leadership, he says you can come under the devil's judgment if you get proud and conceited. Selfish anger. Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Because there's a good kind of clean anger. You know, you stand up for what is right. But there's a selfish anger that's all about me and being offended and hurt and getting bitter over it. There, there's a selfish anger. And, and, and it says, don't cross the line. In your anger, do not sin. Because when you do, you give the devil a foothold. You give him a staging platform from which he can then have a place to make further inroads into messing up your life. See, powers of evil do not cause sin, they exploit sin. We're not taking away, you know, human responsibility, the devil made me do it. No. No, we, we decide we, we, to get proud, we decide to get selfish, to let anger cross the line, to lust, to hate. And that, that's what gives the devil something to get a hold of, something to work with. And how many know that control freak will take all the space that he can get? And he really does. What happens then when he gets space? Well, Jesus said, you can see it in my agenda and the devil's agenda. He said, my agenda, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And that you might even have everlasting life. The devil comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, kill what? Kill what? Well, basically anything that has life or brings life, anything to do with life. And that helps us understand what's going on in the book of Esther. Because can you imagine a more anti-life act, watch this now, than killing off the very uh, nation of people that God raised up to bring the savior of the human race into the world. If you wipe out them, the savior doesn't come. So he kills. Anywhere where there's life, he kills. He kills. Secondly, he steals. Steals means you, you take something uh, that does not belong to you. You take it for yourself. It does not belong to you. You take it to yourself. What would the devil uh, want to take from humans that does not belong to him? You know what it is? Our spirituality. The image of God in us. You see, we're different from all animals. We share the same DNA, the same physical makeup. But God, when he created human beings, made them a living soul. He said, let us make humans in our own image, in our likeness. 
And it's that connection with the creator that we have a capacity for that makes us different. What does the devil try to do? That's exactly what, watch this now. That, who, does that, who does that likeness of God belong, rightfully belong to? It belongs to God. So he tries to get for himself what rightfully belongs to God. You see, he wants to do more than, than just do damage and destruction. That's not his ultimate agenda. His ultimate agenda is to get what is God's and make it something for himself. And to get us to think of ourselves as nothing more than animals, which is really what can happen in the realm of science or sex or self-worth. Just to devalue. You're, just, you're not worth that much. Take away the image of God. So he kills, steals, and destroys. Destroys what? Well, just think of what you value most. What do you value most? Do you value loving relationships in your life the most? Family, friends? It's got a target on it. <laughs> do, do, do you value your, your, you know, your peace of mind? The joy and happiness that you have in life? Just think of all the good things, the beautiful things. Creativity, beauty, Sex, music, safety, health of body, mind, and spirit. They all have a target on them. He wants to destroy them. And, and, and how can he destroy them? Well, we, we heard it, right? Are you joining the dots there? When we get proud, or we lust, or we get greedy, or we get selfish, or anger crosses the line. When, when, we, do the, when we hate... It gives him space to come in and destroy those areas. Now, something else happens, though, when the devil gets space. Do you know what else happens? He doesn't just uh, lie, deceive, tempt, accuse, bully, uh, kill, steal, and destroy. Do you know what else he does? He overplays his hand. That's what he does. He overplays his hand. Now, spoiler alert, we're going to go back into the book of Esther now, and you're going to see how the devil overplays his hand. Let's pick up the story where Pastor Jonathan left it off last weekend uh, with the four main characters, Esther. Esther, this orphan girl raised by Uncle Mordecai, winner of the national beauty pageant, is about to save her Jewish people from the state-legislated genocide, all right? Now, Mordecai, do you remember Pastor Jonathan talking about him? That's Esther's uncle, but he's also a royal official. He's on the staff of King Xerxes. Now, King Xerxes, this is the mighty Persian Empire. Watch this now. A lot of people don't know. It extended its rulership over 36 countries, right north up into Greece, west into Africa, east into India. This was the mighty Persian empire, and Haman was second in command to the king, and he was so proud of it. Very, very proud of it. As a matter of fact, he just loved it that people had to uh, bow down to him. The problem for Mordecai was he had grown up to believe that there was only one who was worthy of his worship, only one that he would bow down to, and that was his Lord and God. And so it, when Haman heard about, you know, he, he just refused. Now, the closest personally I've ever come to this was when I was president of the Ministerial Association in Edmonton, and one of my responsibilities was to schedule pastors 
to go to uh, the opening of city council meetings and open in prayer. And I took my turn at bat. I, I went, but when I was reading the instructions, you were to call the mayor his worship. I don't know. I know, I know, I know. Leave me alone. But, but I, just, I just couldn't say it. I just couldn't call the mayor. I was just, you know, I worship God. And I just, I just, and I know. And you go ahead. If you work there, you call worship. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that it was just the thing that I just, anyway, there I was. Thank God I didn't get into the same kind of trouble that Mordecai did. Haman, oh, I prayed a real blessing on the mayor that day. <laughs> Haman, he just didn't come out. He just came out with such hatred towards Mordecai, the racism, and, and, and it just extended. Watch this now. He said, I not only want to kill you off. He came up with a genocide plan. He deceived the king into signing. He said, I'll pay for it, you know, 10K of silver for, you know, for your offshore account. Well, it's offshore because we're Canadian. Anyway, so he, he, he comes up with all of this plan, all because of hatred that just went to an extreme, the kind of extreme that we hear about. He, he tries to get a, a genocide going. Now, let's just look at how it grew and, and what were some of the consequences. Uh, look at chapter 5 in Esther together. He, so, um, Haman calls together his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him, and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther has invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But... Oh, this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. Now, let's just stop there long enough to understand that isn't it something that he's got all this power, all these possessions, all these family and blessings, and he can't even enjoy them? How many are beginning to see how the devil overplays his hand? He says, if you get power, possession, if you just get all this, you're, you're just going to be so happy in life. Yeah? His wife, Zara, how many think a wife gives good advice? No, don't answer that. This is not going to be a good example for that. His wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits. That's 75 feet, 23 meters high. It, it, it's up there. Hang them high, Harry. And asked the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Does the wife give good advice? Then, just after you have this murder, go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. Now, Last weekend, we saw with Pastor Jonathan that when the world seems off course, God has his partners in place, Esther and Mordecai, right? Watch this. What we're seeing today is <laughs> the devil has his partners in place too. 
Wherever there's pride or selfishness or greed or lust or racism or hatred, wherever that is, he, he, he just, that's space he moves in and partners with. So when the message goes from Mordecai to Queen Esther that Haman's trying to lead a Hitler-like holocaust for the Jewish people, right away she gets her own plan in place. It's a totally different plan than Haman's. It's not about destruction. It's about the saving of many lives. It's not a, a, a plan that's a, a, about uh, destruction and lies. It's about telling the truth and getting the truth out there to people. So it's not only about saving and truth. Do you know what else it's about? Food. Food. At this point, the Esther in the Bible becomes very much like my Esther. She thinks the answer to many, many situations is mange, mange. You know what I mean? The Italian mama. Just, just feed those precious grandchildren. That'll fix them. Anyway, food. food. So, so uh, not unlike my Esther, this one invites the king and Haman to be honored guests at a big banquet where she will make her request. And when they come to the big banquet, she says, well... I'll tell you my request if you come to tomorrow's banquet. Now, a couple of, thank you, a couple of coincidences happen in between the two banquets. One was uh, insomnia, the other was a parade. King Xerxes has a case of royal insomnia. Why? Is his mind troubled? Is it something he ate at the banquet? Not if Esther was cooking, I can tell you that. <laughs> What's his solution for insomnia? He calls for his favorite bedtime story. Do you know what it is? The accomplishments of King Xerxes. And when they came to the account where Mordecai, they told the story as it was read to the king of how Mordecai had exposed a plot to assassinate the king. The king interrupts. He says, what was ever done to honor that man who Save my life. The answer was nothing. And the king said, well, let's plan something right now. Now, guess who shows up at the palace? Right then. And he's on, he wants to meet with the king and get the king to sign off on the execution of Mordecai. Hang him on those gallows, impale him. He wants to get the king to sign off on that. But of course, in royalty, the king, royalty speaks first, right? And so the king says, hey man. <laughs> I thought of that during the night. If you can't sleep, you may as well think of stuff about your message, right? Hey man. Sorry. <laughs> what should become what should be done for the man that the king delights in? And of course, Mordecai thinks he's talking about moi. So he says, Oh, shucks, king, you shouldn't have. But if you really want to do something, maybe just like a little parade down Young Street, like the kind we'd have if the Leafs or Raptors or Argos won. You know, maybe just nothing special, just something like that. And the king says, perfecto. Well, he said, right on, right on, in the Persian language. You organize, and then you get out there, and you lead that very parade for 
Mordecai. And Haman is mortified. <laughs> thought, a lot, thought a lot before the service last night. <laughs> I got to stop thinking. Anyway, <laughs> we're starting to see, watch this, how the devil overplays his hand. Haman ends up honoring the very person he hates so much that he wants to exterminate not only him, but his entire ethnic group. Now, li listen, listen to this, because they have a parade. They have a parade. <laughs> and it's led by the one who was trying to kill the guy that now they're honoring. It reminded me of Colossians 2, 14b. It says that when Jesus nailed our sins to the cross and having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's the powers and authorities of the evil realm, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You begin to see how, how the devil really does overplay his hand. And I'm, we're not, he's not done overplaying his hand yet. As a matter of fact, watch what happens next. Let me read it to you from the original document. All right, Esther chapter 7, starting in verse 3. Because the king has been saying, Esther, what is it that is your big request? I'll give it to you up to half of the kingdom. And she answers at the second banquet, and she says, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. The king urges asks Queen Esther, who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king is so enraged, you can read the next verses, he gets up. And he leaves the banquet table, goes out to his garden, tries to just wrap his head around what this, but everyone knows Haman's done. Haman's done. But he thinks, well, I, I'm going to plead for my life. And so you know what he does? He, the queen's sitting on the couch. Esther's on the, sitting on the couch. He throws himself on the couch. Bad timing. The king comes in. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, Hey, king, just, just an idea. You know, reduce, recycle. Anyway... A pole has been built, reaching to a height of 50 cubits, and it's right by Haman's house. How convenient is that? He had it set up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. The king said, impale him on it. Watch this now. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. How many know the devil overplayed his hand? It's like he can't see it. He just, and you'll see that he can't see it sometimes. It's a mystery. Love is a mystery to the evil one. He just does not get it. 
more important than Haman's destruction, listen to this, that genocide legislation to wipe out the entire Jewish people, it was destroyed, it was overturned, and God's people who were chosen to bring the Savior into the world lived on to bring Jesus Christ into our world that first Christmas. Someone should say hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your... For even when evil seems to be prevalent, it's actually just overplaying his hand. The devil overplays his hand. You say, okay, Pastor Keith, now that's in the book of Esther. Is that a one-time occurrence in human history? Or is this a pattern we can expect to be repeated in human history when the world seems off course in other ways? Well, you know, I've got so many examples from the Bible. You know, you've got the Old Testament, you've got Job, the Old Testament, Joseph. You've got, uh, in the New Testament, you've got Peter, you've got John, you've got Paul, and of course the best one is what happened to Jesus. The devil overplayed his hand. But let's just look at, you know, Job and then the Apostle Paul. All right, let's take time for those two. Uh, Job, have you ever read the story of Job in the Old Testament? He loves God, he loves his family, and he is blessed with health and wealth. And the devil comes in and he plays his hand. Here's what he says. Look, watch this. He plays his hand and he says, Job's just loving you because you bless him with his family, health, and wealth. You take away his family, health, and wealth, you'll take away his love for God. He won't live for you anymore. And it was all taken away. Health, wealth, family. And you agonize with Job. He processed it honestly before God, but he would come up to these bottom line situations where he would say, oh, I know that my Redeemer lives. And even if I get slain, I, I, I love him. And when I come through this, I'm going to be so refined by this trial, I'm going to be like pure gold. And he was. And he was. He came through as pure gold. And how many understand God blessed him even more than what he was blessed with before and the devil overplayed his hand. I don't know how many of you have been in a situation where you said, you know, I don't know why this is happening, why my personal world seems off course, but Lord, I know you died for me on the cross, so I know you love me and you care for me and I'm going to trust you in this one and how many God has come through for you. Amen? See, the devil always overplays his hand. What about in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul? Everywhere Paul went, people heard the good news about what Jesus had done for them on the cross and rising from the dead. Their lives were transformed. And before Paul left town, a church was planted. And he moved on to the next community. And the same thing. And so all that ended abruptly, though, when Paul was arrested and taken off to be shoved into a prison cell in the city of Rome. He is a prisoner of Caesar himself in Rome, in the capital, and right in the prison, in Caesar's shadow. And you can imagine the devil saying, there, I got Paul from traveling, telling people about Jesus. He can't do any good for Jesus. I got him locked up in the prison cell. He won't be able to talk to anybody. The only people he's got to talk to now are some of uh, Caesar's soldiers. He's in chains, locked up. He won't do any good now. Not so fast. Watch this. Paul picks up his pen in the jail cell 
and writes about what's going on to the church in Philippi. He says, Dear Philippians, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I gotta tell you, because of my chains. Do you hear this? Because I am stuck in this jail cell in Rome, because I am in chains, the whole palace guard is hearing about Jesus. <laughs> oh, I love this. And you know how he ends the letter? He says, oh, I got to go now. But by the way, all the Christians here send you their greetings. How did they become Christians? He says, and I love this. This puts a chill down my spine. He says, especially those of Caesar's household. <laughs> Oh, they're paid by Caesar and they're following Jesus and they're winning more and more of the employees in Caesar's household. To all those, especially those from Caesar's household, send you their greetings. Watch this now. They never would have had the opportunity to come to Jesus unless Paul had been locked up in chains in that prison cell. The devil's over. How many see the devil overplaying his hand? Sometimes I'm going to get selfish and greedy and lies and deceives. And it looks like they're getting away with you. Just, just, just give them a while. The devil always overplays his hand. And it's not even over for Paul yet. Because what did Paul do when he was in the prison cell? He picked up his pen and he began to write Christians, right? He thought he was just writing the Christians in Philippi. How many series have we had in my 23 years here from the book of Philippians? How many know Christians for 2,000 years all over the planet have been changed and challenged by the truths that Paul wrote in that jail cell? See, the devil thought he, he had him in a place where he couldn't do a whole lot of good. But there are people that have been ministered to by what Paul wrote, and it never would have happened had he not been locked up in that jail cell. How many know we can count on the devil to overplay his hand? Isn't that true? Isn't that true? And I haven't even told you the best one yet. This is the biggest one. Remember how Haman was destroyed on the very gallows that he had designed and built to destroy Mordecai? The instrument, in other words, that Haman had designed to destroy the one he hated was the very instrument that ended up destroying the hater. Now listen to what Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth. He says this, you remember, remember the powers of darkness are called rulers of this age. No, he says, we declare God's wisdom. A mystery. It's a mystery to a lot of the powers of darkness. Love and, and, and God's being. It's just a mystery that has been hidden. It's even hidden from them. And that God destined for our glory before time began. What a revelation this is. None of the rulers of this age, none of those powers of darkness understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The powers of evil just don't seem to get it. Because while they are celebrating the death of the Savior of the world, how many understand when Jesus dies, he's actually breaking the power of the evil one and bringing forgiveness for everything that can mess up human beings. Forgiveness for all of our sin. He's actually bringing about a victory in what looks like defeat. Never forget it. If ever the world seemed off course, 
It was when Jesus Christ died on the cross. The Savior of the human race is now dead. But how many know that devil overplayed his hand? Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the dead and he is alive forevermore. That cross that was supposed to destroy the Savior was the very... Go ahead, give the Lord praise for what he has done for us. We praise you, Lord. We praise you, victorious one. All right, so what are we going to do with all this? What are we going to do with this? How are we going to live differently? Because we've heard this teaching today when we leave this room. How about I give you three refusals and three partnerships? Quickly now before we pray. Here's the first one. Refuse to be short-sighted. Refuse to be short-sighted. How many know the devil has limited knowledge and not a whole lot of wisdom? He has limited power and it always backfires on him. Any pleasure he lures you into is pleasure only for a season. And when he is done that season, he actually steals the pleasure from you. Any success is short-lived. So, dear one, refuse to shorten your life. Jesus came so that you could live forever. He wants you to live forever. Refuse to be short-sighted. Refuse to be short-lived. He wants you to partner with him so that you can live forever. All right, second refusal. Refuse to be used. Oh, dear one, listen to me today. Refuse to be used. Refuse to be played. Refuse to be a card in the hand. You know, he gets possession through our greed and our selfishness and our lust and our hatred and selfish anger. Refuse to go there. It just gives, refuse to be played. Refuse. Partner with the one who died just to set you free from that stuff forever. Amen? Partner with him. And then third, refuse to be discouraged. Refuse to be discouraged. Let's remind ourselves that every, un, every injustice we experience in this world is temporary. Every trial in your personal world comes with an expiry date. The devil's doom is on schedule. How many know he's already built his gallows? He's building them out of hatred, greed. Every time he, he tries to steal something from another human being and devalue and demean human life, every time he does that, he's just providing more material that will result in his ultimate defeat and destruction. So partner with the one who has won forever and forever. You see, when I, I remember my first day at a new junior high school when we moved to Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I remember coming home, first day of school. Of course, I was lost in deep academic thoughts. Anyway, so I was walking home, and I was turning left to go down Evans Avenue to where our home was. And there's these people that had a great big house on the corner, and it was a great big grassy lawn in front of it. And I'm in my thoughts, and I'm thinking, I'll just take a shortcut and go right across their lawn and go down, you know, to, to my house. And, and so I started across the lawn when I heard a growl and a snarl, and I started, you know, when you go, I did all of that, and, and it, it was a dog. And it came at me. I thought, Keith Smith's done for now. And I ran, I panicked, and I ran, and the dog's snarling behind me, and it's just, you know, slow motion, and just, just moved out onto the street, and suddenly I heard a snap. 
And the dog was growling and snarling away, but the dog was on a chain. I thought it was over for me. But then the dog reached the end of his chain. And he was snapped back onto his owner's property. And I walked that way again many times, but I was never ever hurt by the dog as long as I stayed out of his reach. How do we get into reach? Well, we know that selfishness, greed, hatred, lust, those things that we just, just we play into the devil's space. Every time I walked by, the snarling dog was still there, but I stayed off his property. I knew he was on a chain, and he could go this far and no further. He could bark, but he could not bite. The Apostle Paul says that we, Apostle Peter says that we have an enemy who is out to destroy us. He comes to devour us, Peter says. You have your adversary, the devil, to devour. He tries to devour you. He goes around like a, a roaring lion. How many are thankful he's on a chain? <laughs> this far and no further. I stay out of his space and he can lie, he can deceive, he can tempt, but he cannot kill, steal, or destroy as long as I take my stand with Jesus Christ. Paul said to the Christians in Ephesus, put on the armor of God and when the day of evil is over, you'll still be standing strong in your faith in Jesus Christ. You'll stand strong in him. Oh, the devil always overplays his hand no weapon formed against God's people will be able to prosper. It'll be a weapon. It'll come against you. But how many are thankful? It will not prevail. It will not prosper. However off course the world goes, I can tell you how it is going to end up. Listen to this. Every knee will bow of those on the earth and those... Yeah, you knew it. Under the earth. Read it in Philippians. Every knee will bow those on the earth and every evil power will be brought to a place where they will be, have to confess the truth. And that is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And we are right on course, dear one, for a new heaven and a new earth that will be, will be ruled by the righteous one, Jesus Christ, and you and I will rule and reign with him, and it will be forever and forever. And for the last time, the devil will have overplayed his hand. Oh God, my Father in heaven, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power and the glory, and it is forever and ever. Amen and amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Also, listen, dear one, until that day, let's refuse to be short-sighted. Amen? How many are going to be refused to be used? And refuse to be discouraged. We're partnered with the one that has destroyed the very one who tries to destroy us. We're with the one who is one once and for all and forever and forever. So we leave here today. We leave here facing the future with confidence. We're walking with Jesus. Amen. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.